for listening to Embassy City Church's audio podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message and his word today. For more information on our church, please visit us at embassycity.com. Awesome. So that's simply what I'm going to do this morning. I'm just going to jump on uh, Pastor Tim's back in terms of what he's actually ministered, and I'm going to bring the third part of that series today. And I want to begin by just giving you guys another definition of the word menace. For those of you guys who have your pens and pad, jot this down. Menace means a person whose actions, attitudes, or ideas are considered dangerous or harmful. A person whose actions, attitudes, or ideas are considered Dangerous or harmful? I know you guys are used to really quick prayers. So can we open up in a quick word of prayer? Father, we thank you for every opportunity you give us, God, just to unfold your word. And we know that the unfolding of your word, it brings light, God. And so we're just asking right now, Holy Spirit, that you would just minister to every single heart that's in this room. I ask for your help. I pray that as I decrease, that you would increase in this room. Help me in this moment to share your word. We thank you for the lives that will be changed here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. How many of you guys in this room love a good eavesdrop? Yeah? Okay, I know I'm in the 11 o'clock. How many of you guys in this room love a good eavesdrop? So, me and my wife were in LaGuardia Airport one, one, uh, one afternoon, and I'm getting ready to catch a flight. And there's a guy standing in the middle of LaGuardia Airport. How many of you guys know in New York, it takes a lot for you to stand out? Anybody been to New York? It takes a lot for you to stand out. And, and so, me and my wife were just sitting there, you know, having a moment of QT as I'm getting ready to jump on the plane. And next thing you know, to the right of us is this gentleman, and he's on his cell phone, and he's, he, he's talking to who I presume was his, uh, his wife or his girlfriend. And, and at the top of his lungs, he's saying, Becky, now you know you shouldn't do this. Becky, you know I don't deserve this. And he was going, I mean, he was going off. Face was red. The veins were on the side of his head. And so we, as good Christians, decided to eavesdrop. I said, I want to hear how this concludes. I want to hear what happens with the rest of this conversation. But my wife, being the good person she is, was like, come on, babe, let's go. I'm like, man, this is getting good. I want to see what happens. Is he going to keep her or is he going to lose her? And so, needless to say, I was just left hanging. I didn't get a chance to see how that story ended. And we get a chance to jump into a conversation, let alone eavesdrop, into a conversation that's getting ready to happen here in the Bible in John chapter 3. The conversation is between Jesus, who most of us are familiar with, as well as Nicodemus. And it picks up like this. John chapter 3, we're going to read 21 verses. Is that okay to read the Bible in in church? Okay, awesome. 
John chapter 3, verse 1 reads, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he's old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he can't enter the second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you don't understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know. We testify to what we've seen. But still... You people, I'm like, Jesus, you people, you people, you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken out, I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven. The son of man, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son and that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but so that the world through him would be saved. Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. The title of the message this morning is Menace Maker. It's the third piece to this series. And we're just going to walk through some of these verses that we just read in John chapter 3. And I want to pick back up in verse number 1. It gives us a little bit more of a background or context as to, to who is this Nicodemus guy. He's a guy that's got a cool name, Nicodemus. I like it. But I want to find out who Nicodemus is. And the Bible does a good job of just revealing to us who, that, who he is. It begins by saying he's a Pharisee and a member of the Jewish ruling council. Let me just stop right there. Oftentimes in church circles, we hear the terms Pharisee and Sadducee used synonymously. But the two are two distinctly different groups of people. However, they did form together to be a part of the Jewish ruling council. They were part of the Supreme Council of Ancient Israel. They didn't like each other, but they got along with each other so they could be a, 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 an opposition to Jesus' earthly ministry. Now, a Sadducee, now just keep, keep, bear with me here, stay with me. A Sadducee was 
was someone who was, who was born into this group. In order to be a Sadducee, you were born into this. It had to be part of your heritage. It had to be part of your lineage. So let me just break that down. So Grandpa was a, a Pharisee, or excuse me, Grandpa was a Sadducee, so I could be a Sadducee. Mama was a, a Sadducee, so I could be a Sadducee. When they opened the text, they read, read it from a liberal standpoint. Let me just bring that to 2018. The, the, the Sadducees were born on a pew. They knew exactly what to say, when to say it, and how to say it. They were screaming hallelujah, praise you, Lord, and they would say amen before I finish my point. But I know that's nobody in this room. I'm talking to people out there. I want you guys to take this message and take it to people out there. And so the Sadducees were that group. Now the Pharisees were a group all to themselves. Now the Pharisees were a group who worked for everything. You know, if I can just read my Bible 12 more hours today, I'm going to be right with God. As a matter of fact, that's going to make me more elite than the next man. They put all of their eggs in the basket of performance. I want to be seen. When it comes to offering, I want you to know this was my wad that I actually dropped in the offering. You see this? You see this? I'm getting ready to do this. You watching me? You watching me? Bow. It was me. I did that. I put that in the offering. Yeah, I put that in the offering. As a matter of fact, the 14-hour the, the, the prayer that you heard that everybody applauded, I did that. It was me. That was my prayer. That's a Pharisee. They patted each other on the back for strictly observing the law. They took pride in how well they kept the law. So this is this man, Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee. And he's part of this Jewish members, excuse me, he's a member of this Jewish ruling council. And so he encounters Jesus at night. Why is that significant? You know, most scholars believe he didn't want to be seen with Jesus at night. You know, he didn't want to, to look like he was now associating and or aligning himself with this Messiah who he didn't believe was the Messiah at the time. But he didn't want to see, seem that he is aligning himself with this man. And so he kind of comes along like, hey, man, can I holler at you real quick? Psst. Jesus. And so this is the conversation that's being had. And so as I'm looking at this scripture, God started to have me just look at those two words, at night. He comes to him at night. See, we mock Nicodemus oftentimes, for those of, the, those of you who are familiar with this story, we mock him because of the time that he came. But how many of you guys know we can celebrate him for the fact that he came? See, when you look at those words, at night, it made me look at it from a different perspective. It made me think about John 6.44. John 6.44 says, no man can come unto me unless the Father draws him. So there's something else going on in this picture. There's a man who's actually being stirred to come to Jesus, to engage Jesus and find out more about this Jesus. At night? So I just started to look at at night. At night, okay, okay. God does a lot of amazing things at night. And as I started to walk through the text, I started to think about Paul and Silas in prison. 
And as they started to worship God and as they started to sing hymns and praises to God and all the prison doors opened, all the chains fell off of the prisoners, that happened at the midnight hour. That happened at night. But the greatest miracle of that entire event, in my opinion, was the jailer who was responsible for watching over those guys, giving his life to the Lord in the middle of the night. And his whole family then ended up giving their lives to the Lord in the middle of the night and being baptized in the middle of the night. I saw Peter being imprisoned. And the night before he was to stand trial, an angel comes and taps on Peter. This is found in Acts chapter 12. Taps on Peter as Peter is asleep and helps Peter escape from prison. That happens at night. And so I started to think about it, and I was like, you know what? God does some amazing things at night. How does that apply to anybody in this room? Because sometimes it feels like if I don't see it, God isn't doing anything. I've been praying for people for so many years, and I haven't seen God come through in any of these things. But how many of you guys know none of us go to sleep with them at night? There are certain family members that we have been praying for to come to know the Lord, but we don't know the conversations they're having at night. So we serve a God, according to Psalms 121, that says he never slumbers nor sleeps, that is constantly working. You know, one of my favorite preachers, Pastor Darius Daniel, says it like this. When God is doing something, God is doing something. When God is doing nothing, God is doing something. And so here we find Nicodemus now engaged in a full-out conversation with Jesus. And he comes out and he says, hey, teacher, we know you were sent from God because if you weren't sent from God, you wouldn't be able to perform these miracles. Watch Jesus, though. Jesus is like, I don't need validation from this guy. I'm not even going to address his statement. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. So Jesus doesn't even acknowledge his statement. You know why he doesn't acknowledge his statement? Because he had already received affirmation from the one. And when you receive affirmation from the one, you don't care about the validation of others. He had already heard those words, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. As a matter of fact, after he heard those words, it didn't matter who else was pleased with him. And so here he is, <laughs> a truth spitter. That's what I like to call Jesus, a truth spitter. As we read the text all throughout the Gospels, I know sometimes we're like, man, I wish I was back in the day during Jesus' ministry. No, you don't. No, you don't. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. Man, I tell you, the whole church would have been out after that. But here he is, engaged in this conversation, and he cuts straight to the chase. I know why you're here. But in order for you to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Let's just cut to the chase, Nicodemus. I know you're impressed with the miracles. I know you're impressed with the teaching. It's some of the same things that not in this church but in other churches People are attracted to, they're attracted to the teaching without the intent of ever applying the teaching. They're attracted to the miracles without themselves wanting to go out, lay hands on the sick and be a miracle. 
Now here he is. Jesus cutting right straight to the chase. Unless you're born again, you're not even going to understand a single thing that I'm saying. And for us as believers, when we're sitting there having a conversation, engaging with somebody, witnessing to somebody, sometimes, man, we said one of some of the deepest stuff to them, right? And they didn't respond the way that we thought that they would respond because they don't understand us. Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. And he goes on. I tell you the truth, and let me just park there really quickly here. Born again simply means born from above in the Greek. Born anew. It's, 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 it's a term for spiritual birth, a new birth. And it says in verse 5, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Most scholars don't agree with that verse right there. What, they don't agree with uh, that verse in a sense that when it says, unless you're born of water and of the Spirit. Some scholars believe he's speaking about baptism. If he was speaking about baptism, well, then the thief on the cross isn't in heaven. So it's not about baptism. I believe that the text actually explains to you exactly what he's referring to. And it says, Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. I believe he's personally speaking about a natural birth, but then a second birth. Unless you are born again. Now, can you imagine in the ears of Nicodemus being one of the most prominent, most influential, most powerful men of Israel? He's considered the teacher of Israel. And in this moment, he understands that this guy might know a little bit more than me because I don't fully understand what he's talking about. And I feel like this guy may know a little bit more than me. And he goes on to say, Jesus, is, Jesus at this point is like, you're Israel's teacher? Like, you know how humiliating, you're Israel's teacher and you don't understand what I'm talking about? As a matter of fact, let me take it a step further. I've lived in heaven. I'm from heaven, so I'm speaking about what I know. You guys don't know what you're talking about. See, Nicodemus had partial revelation of who Jesus was. He wasn't wrong in saying that he was a great teacher. But let's see what John 3.16 ends up saying about Jesus. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that everyone that believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I feel like in the church we've gotten a little bit too numb with that scripture. We've heard it our whole life. But you know the whoever in that scripture actually means whoever? So in this moment, God is prophetically laying out God's plan for salvation before the ears of this teacher. And what I love about Jesus is despite the fact that it's happening at night, he's engaging this guy. He's engaging this guy in conversation. He didn't turn away from him. But he's, but, but he's engaging this guy in conversation. And this is what I found a bit interesting. As the passage closes out in verse 21, it's kind of like me in the airport. I'm left hanging a bit. I, I want to find out what Nicodemus' response was to all that Jesus said to him. 
Like, I feel like in this moment, it's like my wife, like, come on, babe, we got to go. But let's just go real quickly here to John chapter 7. And see what the Bible says about this. John chapter 7, verse 45 through 52. John chapter 7, verse 45 reads, Finally the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, Why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards declared. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted. Has any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he's doing? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you'll find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. What I find interesting in that passage there is now we find Nicodemus, who initially came to Jesus at night, who initially was part of Jesus' greatest opposition, now becoming one of Jesus' greatest defenders. See, the series is talking about menace to society. And I believe what we're seeing in the text here is what Jesus' heart is for the world. See, what makes Jesus a menace is that he makes you a menace. Now, here is this guy on his job, now defending the man that he once was opposed to. But look at how bold he was. He initially started out afraid for anyone to see him. But now he's lifted up his voice to defend this man. Let's look at Scripture one, one more place. Let's look at John chapter 19. John chapter 19, verse 38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes and about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid, because it was the Jewish day of preparation. Since the tomb was nearby, they had laid Jesus there. Now I want to look at a couple things here in Scripture. On John chapter 7, verse 50, just keep your finger on on John chapter 19. John chapter 7, I just want to read verse 50. And I'm reading from the NIV version, which is, my, which is why my language may be a little bit different than what you might see on the screen. But John chapter 7 verse 50 says, Nicodemus who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number. Chapter 19 verse 39 says, he was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. And I think the Bible was very intentional in leaving the description of who Nicodemus was in the Bible. It very easily could have just said Nicodemus. At that point, we hadn't encountered any other Nicodemus in the Bible. But what I believe that the Word of God is actually showing to us in this text is that when you have a genuine experience with Jesus, it is impossible not to change. 
See, because this is the same Nicodemus, but this is a changed Nicodemus. This is the same Nicodemus, but this is a changed Nicodemus now. While his peers, the Pharisees, have just destroyed the body of Jesus, we find this Nicodemus now honoring the body of Jesus. And I'll go a step further than that. We see this Nicodemus that was ashamed to be associated with Jesus. Now he's associating himself with the body of Christ, both literally, and he takes it a step further. Now he's associating himself in the body of Christ. See, when you walk with Jesus and you haven't changed, and we, we haven't changed, when you walk with Jesus and we haven't changed, there's a good chance that we've experienced some form of religion. But when you encounter Jesus, it's impossible not to change. It's impossible not to become that menace on your job. And I'm not talking about take a blowhorn to the job and, you know, start telling everybody they're going to hell. <laughs> You're going to hell in a hand. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being a light. I'm talking about being the salt of the earth. I'm talking about being a city set on a hill that can't be hidden. So here he is. Now a changed man. And it made me think about a gift that a friend of mine gave me. I'm a huge watch guy. I love watches. My wife knows. She has to shut me down. Like, no, you ain't getting no more watches. Man, it was so much better before I got married. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but so here's this friend of mine, and he gives me this watch. And I love this guy. I go back with him. We were college teammates. I love him. And he said, the conversation happened like this, and the exchange happened like this. He said, uh, yeah, it's like $30,000 watch, you know, Canal Street, I don't know. And I took the watch, and all I heard was $30,000 watch. I grabbed that thing and put that thing on. And the minute I put that thing on, it was like compliments were flying left and right at me with this watch. I'm talking about so much so that, man, I was putting this watch on every day just for the compliments. And they would say, well... How do you get to Embassy City? Well, go to, uh, you know, go to 77, you know, jump on I-35 East. Like, babe, do you have a wallet? Well, let me check real quick. Uh, yeah. Uh. Everyone's telling me, sir, that is an amazing watch. I'm telling you, that thing did not come off my arm. Just walk around like, You see it. You see it. And so something funny happened. The second hand stopped working. Uh, I, I was still flossing. Come on. I'm still drip, drip. <laughs> and so the second hand stopped working. And I kept wearing it, st still kept getting, you know, applause for it, celebrated for it. And then I went to a Breitling store. Now, it was a Breitling watch for my connoisseurs in here. And I walk in, and some of the sales guys are looking at my watch. Oh, that's an impressive watch. Oh, thank you. Could you lead me to your watches, please? But then 
one of the experts came along. That's a nice watch, sir. I said, thank you. And the closer he got, the expression on his face changed a bit. And he almost looked at me with almost utter disdain. And this guy had the nerve to tell me, because I had asked him, hey, can you fix this watch? He said, I can't fix it. I said, well, why can't you fix it? He said, it's not real. So now in that particular moment, I could have sat in self-denial and dismissed what he had said and been content with a broken watch, been content with something that was broken that wasn't real. I could have been content with that. Now, do you guys know what I did after that? Because I had the option of just taking that off in that moment or keep wearing something that I knew wasn't real. So what I did, I kept rocking it. I had settled. I had settled to being, for, for being celebrated by people. I had celebrated for the applause of people. You know, religion settles to be seen, to be celebrated by people. But in that particular moment, I had the option. Do I embrace what is real? Or do I con continue to wear a counterfeit? See, this is what Nicodemus faced in that encounter. Do I continue to wear this counterfeit because I know it's broken because it doesn't work? I've tried to use it on my marriage and it doesn't work. I've tried to use it on bringing up my children, but it doesn't work. I've prayed about certain things, but I've never received breakthrough. Nicodemus chose the costly road. See, because in that particular moment, I could have taken option B, right? And bought the real Breitling. See, the real Breitling is a $30,000 watch. But the reason I didn't buy the Breitling was because it was too costly. I couldn't afford it. And so I settled for something that was counterfeit, that wasn't real, that didn't work. As the keys come, the thing that makes Jesus a menace is that he makes you a menace. But what makes you a menace is actually having an experience with Jesus. Jesus is looking to reproduce menaces in your household, on your job, in the grocery store. He's looking for menaces. He's looking for people that will boldly proclaim the name of Jesus, especially in this day and time. He's looking for people that are unashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. He's, he, he's looking. He's looking for people that will raise their voice and speak up and speak out like a Nicodemus. 
Because it's impossible for you not to change when you walk with the Christ. Everything he touches changes. This is the same guy that changed water to wine. This is the same guy that changed the hand that was withered and made it whole. This is the same God that once you were lost, he made you to become found. Once you were blind, he made you to be able to see. Once you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but now he's made you alive. It's impossible to walk with Jesus the Christ and not be changed. Option A. Option A. You see that? Option A. You see that? Or option B. You know, salvation is the free gift. But following Jesus will cost you something. It will cost you something. (laughs) It will cost you something. And, you know, I stopped believing that the white picket fence gospel. Not to say that God doesn't want you to have nice things. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying, if you're going to say that, make sure you talk about the wooden cross that he also wants you to carry. That's part of being a menace. He said, if any man follows me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross daily, and follow after me. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more about Embassy City Church, please visit us at embassycity.com and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Embassy Irving.